right, welcome to Badass Women in History. I'm Karis. I'm Haley. That's Haley with an H. Yes. We have a special guest host <laughs> this week. So yes. Kaylee is um, currently drowning in schoolwork, and uh, she had a, her senior seminar presentation today, and also Thanksgiving is in two days, so she needed a quick break. So we have Haley here today um, helping me with the podcast. Tell us about yourself, Haley. Yes, my name is Haley. Um, it does begin with an H. Uh, I, or a, a H. A, a H, if you will, <laughs> yes. Um, but I am a history major, anthropology minor, pursuing a museum <laughs> studies certificate, and I'm a co-worker of Karis. We're, so We're pretty similar, I guess. Yes, she has short hair. She has longer eyelashes, but besides that... It's those good, good lash extensions. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, so Haley actually messaged me about um, somebody that she wanted us to cover on the podcast, and it was literally the same time that Kaylee was texting me saying, I can't do it right now, and so I was like, hmm. <laughs> so Haley's done a shit ton of research. I'm very excited for her presentation um, on her badass woman this week. And yeah, but um, yeah, first we will start with our current events. Yeah, what do you got, Karis? <laughs> um, well, I kind of have two. So one, uh, the first one is going to be um, fuck Lena Dunham. Actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which we've covered before, I feel. We definitely have covered before, but... Uh, <laughs> Who decided that she speaks for us, for me? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't really know how she became, like, the poster girl for feminism because she's the worst. <sighs> she's literally the worst. So, if you don't know, Lena Dunham uh, had some, uh, were they tweets, I think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just some tweets uh, defending her friend and um, rapist. You um, know. And uh, girls, I think girls co-writer or mm-hmm. something as well. Uh, and basically, um, this girl called Aurora had spoken out um, that she was uh, assaulted by one of Lena Dunham's writers. I think it was, his name is Murray. Um, yeah, maybe Google that for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and said that, hey, when I was 17, some very inappropriate things happened and I want to speak out about it. And it's been, obviously been a few years now. She's no longer underage. But the time of the act, she was underage. And Lena Dunham was pretty much just like... Not pretty much. She she straight up said that she was lying. And that's bullshit. Yeah. Um, so in short, fuck Lena Dunham. Um, when in August she tweeted, Things women do not lie about. Rape. Cool. Alright. She is the most problematic person that I know. And then, like, that's not even talking about the stuff that, it, like, was in her autobiography either. Oh, God. I actually, I I don't know why, but after this came out, I was like, I need a refresher on some of that other stuff. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't have read that again. <laughs> it's never, it's never easier. Um, yeah, I really... I also, so I subscribe, and I've mentioned this, I think, in, like, episode two, I subscribe to Lenny Letter, which is Lena Dunham. I don't think I don't know if she owns it or she's like a big member of the Lenny Letter, but you get it sent and it's like um, a biweekly email subscription, and mm-hmm. they send you. And you, I've gotten some really really cool articles out of it, 
even though going in, I was like, don't like Lena Dunham, but she's giving a, a platform for a lot of other women's voices. And I'm still like morally trying to figure out if I agree with that because I don't like supporting Lena Dunham, but in the same breath, she is giving these women voices in my mailbox. But I also think that maybe I should just be more proactive about finding these women's voices on my own. Well, didn't one of, like, the writers for that, like, leave? Yes, that was also a thing. And also... Hipster racism? Yeah. I don't know. Also slammed uh, Lena Dunham, like, as she left. It was like, bitch. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, Fuck Lena Dunham. And then my other thing was something that I mentioned. So, fuck Lena Dunham and also fuck... um, multi-level marketing pyramid schemes (laughs) um so this is not really too feminist um well it is a little bit i suppose don't fall for the gifting sisters pyramid scheme that's been going around i think i've seen four or five people on my facebook and instagram and everything posting about it in the past like two days basically what it is is it says i'm looking for six or more girls to Six or more girls to uh, participate in a gift exchange. You buy one gift for $10, and then you received six to 36 gifts in exchange. Now, I haven't taken a math class since I was a senior in high school. (laughs) But that mathematically doesn't make sense at all. So, um... It's actually also like a federal crime because you're um, participating in fraud if you're sending the packages um, through the United States Postal Service and stuff. Um, And this is like the the least uh, problematic, I suppose, of these pyramid schemes. The larger ones being the ones where you actually buy in uh, like $5,000 worth and then hoping that you'll be the chosen one for the... (laughs) Uh, grand $40,000 one when you're at the top of the pyramid and then you keep adding people to the pyramid. And I'm pretty sure that's how you end up, I'm doing air quotes, with 36 gifts, (laughs) is you add 36 women to the pyramid scheme. Or you add six and somebody else adds six. That's how it works. It's a pyramid. I'm literally thinking of In the Office, if you've seen that episode, where (laughs) where Michael's like, I... It's just me, and then I add two other people, and then so Jim just draws a a triangle on the board, or, you know, a pyramid. So yeah, be smart, don't fall for that. This kind of stuff preys on women who have really big hearts, especially around the holiday times, Um, and it really sucks, because it could get you in a lot of trouble, depending on what the scheme actually is. Yeah, there's all those news articles right now about women who, like, bought thousands of dollars into Lululemon leggings. LuLaRoe. LuLaRoe. Oh, don't take down Lululemon. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Well, actually, I really don't have any allegiance to Lululemon either. Oh, they're not a sponsor quite yet? (laughs) Please send me leggings. Thank you. Um, (laughs) LuLaRoe. LuLaRoe. those buttery, soft tissue paper leggings. I'm going to have to add you to the Facebook groups I'm in about pyramid (laughs) schemes. This is, like, all I do in class is just, like rifle through yeah people are suing LuLaRoe right now people are um the FDA just released a bunch of warnings to I think Young Living and doTERRA essential oils because they're like you can't tell people to ingest your oils because they're literally burning people's stomach linings (laughs) honestly 2017's been wild and we thought 2016 was gonna be weird um 
don't eat essential oils <laughs> if you take anything away from today's episode. I'm literally begging you, don't but eat them. essential. Don't put them on your children. <laughs> oh, God. Don't put them in your brownies. Ugh. Okay. Good times. What about you? Do you have one? I have one great oh. news story. Okay. Um... There's been a lot of negativity, and I just think it's important that we remember that Harrison Ford is a national hero. Okay. You may have heard that he's, like, rescued people from mountaintops, like, in his helicopter. Yeah. Well, he struck again. So, this afternoon... um, I haven't heard this. (laughs) A woman crashed her car off of a motorway in California. Mm Mm-hmm. Guess who was on the scene? Was yes, Indiana Jones was there to save the day as he does. He was there before emergency services arrived. Just, was he just Harrison Ford? Was he in the car? Oh, how, he was how not. How did he get so um, close? How did he get there so quickly? So apparently he was just like chilling um, and she crashed her car. Um, at like ten fifty five a.m. local time, um, <laughs> for unknown time. reasons, her car drifted left into the central reversion, and then she ended up striking a tree. Um, she lost control, swerved, um, and Ford arrived. He was there. Um, he heard the crash with one of his friends, and they went to go assist her. Made sure she was all cool. Um, I don't think he like pulled her out of the car because she was able to. Yeah. make it out but he like checked her for minor injuries and she was all fine mm-hmm. um emergency services were called and he was gone before help truly arrived oh my but... god i watched i think the first part of indiana jones 4 oh i've never seen indiana jones before well you gotta start with the fourth one if you're gonna do anything <laughs> brendan like put it on i think it was on like hulu and okay. i have hulu and so he was he was like oh we should watch the worst one and i just didn't really understand it because i was like why doesn't he just wait till the boulder goes in front of him instead of running from it but then he would have been trapped i guess was shia labeouf in this scene no, but the translator was, and the translator got hit by an arrow in the head, and then the prosthetic, it was really gross. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway. Is that before or after they find the crystal skulls? This was, like, literally the first scene. Oh, well. I hardly remember seeing it. You don't I know it's seen it by in scene. theaters, and I blocked it out. <laughs> I saw Indiana Jones, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Amazing. In theaters. <laughs> Not my proudest moment. Oh also saw God. the B-movie, but that's... One time I watched the B movie three times in a row without a break, and I don't know why. Like, we were camping. It was the only thing on the... We had, like, an RV at this point, and I guess the campground that we were at had cable, but only had, like, three channels, and the B movie just kept playing. (laughs) One of them was the B movie channel, I guess, (laughs) and it just kept playing, and I watched... There was... It was cold outside. It was cold outside. Because it was Georgia. Um, right. So it was like 70 degrees. So it was like, this was a, a quench 65. And <laughs> I didn't want to go outside. So I watched the B movie three goddamn times in a row. I called to you. I feel. Oh my god. Okay. So we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back. And you're going to go first since you're our guest. Ah! Yay. <laughs> okay. Cool, cool.
and we're back. Hello. <laughs> I have returned. Um, so, my super cool badass lady is Hatshepsut. So, let's break this down. Alright. Hat. Hat. Shep. Shep. S- Shep. Hat. Shepsut. S-H-E-P. Shep. Uh, H-A-T-S-H-E-P. Okay. S-U-T. Hat. Shepsut. Perfect. Cool. Yes. Hatshepsut. Um, so she was the second female pharaoh of Egypt, but is the most well-remembered because, well, we'll get to that. So, um, if you know anything about Egyptian pharaohs, you know, like King Tut, maybe, um, a Thutmose or two, Ramses, if you're into the Bible, I, I, kind of thing. <laughs> well, amongst us is not. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Um... But Hatshepsut, um, we have a lot of stuff left over from her reign, and pretty much every museum in the world, if you have Egyptian artifacts, you have some from her reign, um, which is just one of the reasons that she's well known. So she was the second female pharaoh of the 18th dynasty, so that was like 1478, 1458 BCE, so it's like smack dab in the middle in there. And the first female pharaoh came 400 years before her. So there was a big stretch there. Mm -hmm. Um, So historically, pharaohs are male, um, which is a kind of interesting, like, thing for Egypt. Because at the time, Egypt was, like, really heavily influenced by other African um, cultures, obviously, Mm -hmm. the area, because they were still African. Yeah. (laughs) Um... And a lot Remember of that time that everybody forgot that Egypt was oh in Africa. Oh my gosh, it's bad. <laughs> it, if you want to make Haley very upset, <laughs> just whitewash an Egyptian movie, make the servants African, it will blow you away how angry I get. But I digress. <laughs> um, so, the, in um, a lot of these um, cultures of Africa, their lineage is traced matrilineally, mm-hmm. so through the women. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, we in the United States and most of the world today trace our ancestry through the men of our family. That mm-hmm. was not the case in Egypt, um, and that means royalty was, and the royal line moved through the females of a yeah. family. I remember that from <laughs> Stefan's class. <laughs> oh, take, he's wonderful, I love him so. Um, so... That's kind of why we see some females starting to take mm-hmm. take power. They're few and far between, but why it can happen is because the right to rule flows through the female bloodline, mm-hmm. which is really cool, and I really like that. It's super fucking Big lit. fan. Big fan of female blood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you hate me. Within, <laughs> within the female body. Within. Where it belongs. Yes. This is true. Okay. Um... <laughs> So, she began her rule um, as just, like, a regent. Her husband and probably her brother, Thutmose II. Same person? Same person, yeah. We'll get into that in a sec. um, Died, and the next male heir was, like, two years old. Mm -hmm. Um, So, she was the most, had the most royal blood accumulated in her Mm -hmm. to be able to take the throne. So um, was she? Ta- did she take the throne, or was she? Regent? She was regent okay. alongside Thutmose the Third, um, 
her husband's the, son. The two-year-old. The two-year-old, yes. They shared power equally. What do you, what do you <laughs> think we should do? Yeah, weird. Let's <coughs> hmm. just share. Um, so I say brother and husband. Um, you've probably heard about Egyptians marrying their sisters, their brothers. That probably only happened within royalty. <coughs> and it was only to link themselves to the female bloodlines who royalty flowed through. Gotcha. So, Thutmose II was the son of Thutmose I. Um, <coughs> his, um, mm-hmm. I'm just, so, would that also make him his nephew? Yes. Cool. Cool, yes. <laughs> so, Hatshepsut, two-year-old nephew, stepson, because he was not her okay. son. Um, Thutmose II had a bunch <coughs> of wives, Mm-hmm. But he married her, Hatshepsut, mm-hmm. to link himself to the royal line, make his rule legitimate, and gotcha. give his son's rule legitimacy. Cool. Okay. Yes. So, the third is two years old, um, and our lady Hatshepsut is the regent, not really queen mother, but yeah. you get the idea. <laughs> um, she was the closest thing to royalty, and the most legitimate, and that is because of the ways that blood, yes. Um, so she does her thing. She is pharaoh for 22 years. Hell yeah. Um, so, uh, Thutmose III definitely could have, uh, ruled during that time, but she was pharaoh. Yeah. She was only, <clears throat> only called herself regent for about five, six years, and she's like, nah, we're going for pharaoh. And at that time, she starts to, like, incorporate pharaonic symbols into her rule so if you see like her with the beard Mm -hmm. um like sometimes she's wearing um like the crown of upper egypt so like the white crown that Mm -hmm. looks kind of like a bowling pin Mm -hmm. they're both um symbols of male kingship but she didn't really fit into that and she begins to adopt some of these she also um refers to herself um in a masculine third person pronoun so it's like he him Mm-hmm. Um, but she probably wasn't trying to convince people she was a man. Yeah. Because she's, we still have images of her as a female. And it's not like she was a transgender person. Mm-hmm. She was just incorporating um, some of the ideas of masculinity that was linked to kingship so she could legitimize her rule beyond just her bloodline. Gotcha. Which is very nice. I like <laughs> it very much. Um, so some of the things that we remember most about Hatshepsut are her trade routes and her building projects. So, um, do you know anything about the Hyksos? Mm-mm. So the Hyksos were a group of people who came and occupied Egypt in the mid-17th century BC. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really kind of threw a wrench in the trade routes because they had their kings on the throne and it was just threw Egypt up whack. Eventually, they were expelled from Egypt. Some people think about them as, like, the exodus. That's a whole different thing. We won't get into that. That will make people very angry. I will not talk about it. Um, But they end up being kicked out of Egypt, and then Hatshepsut helps to reestablish trade routes, a lot of them by sea, um, which is something that the Egyptians didn't typically do because they were, right, they were in Africa on the precipice of, like, the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Um, but they had sea routes um, to go down to Punt, I think, like Punt, Punt. I don't yeah. Know. Okay. Northeastern um, Ethiopia is probably oh, where okay. it is. We're not exactly sure, um, but 
they were really known um, for like frankincense and myrrh and that's where coal comes from and there are some people who say that Hatshepsut was the first person who put coal on her eyeliner and that's the mm-hmm. like the quintessential Egyptian look yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a really cool story yeah um, let's say it's true um, because that's fun but don't quote that in a paper I learned that coal like the original use of using coal eyeliner was actually to keep like mosquitoes out of your eyes because it had, um, what's that good, good thing? Arsenic? Ah, delicious. Lead. Delicious arsenic or lead. Lead. It had lead in it. And and the mosquitoes were like, no, we're not going to go near that. And we were like, let's put it in our eyes. What do the mosquitoes know that we don't? (laughs) Yikes. But yeah, so she's really well known for her trade routes. Um, Brought back a bunch of trees, too. That was cool. And a lot of them are are supposedly still around. Um, But she's also well known for her building projects. She built a lot of monuments, which is why we have so many of them in museums today. Like the Mm -hmm. British Museum in New York has like a pile of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, She built the Temple of Karnak. Um, She restored the precinct of Moat. Um, So that's like... It was a temple to the mother goddess, the wife of Amun-Ra, which was, like, one of their head gods, um, and it had been destroyed during the Hyksos Mm -hmm. um, in Egypt. She rebuilt it, which is, I think, really cool because it's a temple to the mother goddess, and she is referred to a lot of the times in that same kind of way. She probably related a lot to this, like, goddess, queen, ruler, Mm -hmm. cool, um... It was eventually destroyed again, but it was good for a while while Tutsi was in charge. Um, and outside of that temple, she had two obelisks, one of which still stands and is the tallest ancient obelisk in the world. So, still standing, and it is the tallest one from, like... And it lasted, yeah. it's still there, which is really cool. It's cool. Um, there are two, but we know of a third one. Um, there were probably only supposed to be two, but the first one broke while it was being constructed, and it's still in the limestone. You can go look at it. Oh, that's so cool. So it's like an example of this is how they are quarried, which is very cool. Next time you're in Egypt, um, oh, yeah. check that out. <laughs> um, and then, of course, she built her own mortuary temple, which is an iconic um, piece. If you just look it up, it, you'll recognize it. It's very cool. Um, but she ended up ruling for 22 years um, and probably died of bone cancer because... Oh. The, the lead in her eyes. <laughs> the lead in her eyes, you know. But, yeah, ruled for, at the most, 22 years. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some people who say it was more like 21 and a half, but we'll say 22. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> most likely, she was buried in KV-20, which is one of the names of the tombs in the Valley of the Kings. Mm-hmm. Um, but during the reign of her stepson, nephew, Thutmose III, yeah. um, KV-20 was probably... Um, expanded to make his father's tomb more grand, mm-hmm. and she was probably moved out at that time. So that's weird that they would kick her out if they thought. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Speaking of, so if people have heard of Hatshepsut, it's probably because she has been scrubbed from history in a couple different places. Mm-hmm. There are some examples of her like deliberately being chipped out of images. Um, oh wow! Um, yeah, they are like parts of like her sculptures where she's been removed. Her name has been removed. 
Um, obviously not so much that we don't know who she is, but it is strange because it's deliberate. Um, and there are people, and very rightfully so, um, who believe that this was done during the reign of Thutmose III, that yeah. nephew son of hers. Um, so there are a couple theories as to why this happened, but uh, the two largest ones are because she was a woman and they didn't want people to get any kind of ideas because yeah. she was a very successful pharaoh, a very long reigning pharaoh, um, and if we can just kind of scrub her image out a little bit, maybe if we can downplay her, she's like, oh, she was just fine. Yeah. It's whatever. Um, that used to be more popular of a theory than it is now. Now it's probably, we're thinking, uh, Thutmose the Third was just trying to legitimize his own son's rule. Mm-hmm. So he removes the more powerful ruler who went before him. Um, powerful, because yeah. Thutmose the Third was a really, well, battle. Yeah. Like, Pharaoh, he, I think, what, 17 Big fan campaigns? Of Big fan. <laughs> 17, yeah, 17 campaigns, and he accompanied all of them, which is like, Okay. It's more campaigns than I've done, <laughs> by a ways. So, yeah, we're not exactly sure why, but probably just trying to make himself look good. Um, because she was a pharaoh, she was like a female Horus, and Horus was like the king, chief, god, and you don't... And a pharaoh is the embodiment of Horus on Earth, and it's a real big no-no to disrespect them, particularly in the afterlife. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was, it's like a big deal that they have their tomb, and they have yeah. their... They are cho- they're, they're gods, essentially. Exactly. So, it's, it's a little bit of history's mysteries, but... Um, history's... History's mysteries. Coming soon to a <laughs> history channel. There you go. Oh, I hope. <laughs> I wish. But, yeah. I think, nice. I think that's my lady. That was just super cool. I'm so <laughs> excited that you did that. Nice. Okay, so for mine, I had uh, some real trouble figuring out who I wanted to do. Because normally I lean a little bit more towards historical. But then I was like, well, I don't know if we, I want to do both of us historical. Because Kaylee normally doesn't do that. And mm-hmm. it kind of like diversifies our listeners. And then I was like, okay, well, we both work at Glensheen, so I was like, well, do I do Helen Congdon? But then I was like, I don't really want to do that. Oh, like, yeah. I was like, uh, eh. Um, so then I was like, I did my favorite thing, which is where I look at the listicles that are like women you didn't know from history or whatever. And I found one, I found a few that I really, really liked. One that I'm definitely going to save for, for Kaylee, because I think that you would probably know who she is, but I know Kaylee would not, and she would just <laughs> be like, what the hell? So I thought that that would be fun. Kaylee told me that if I did somebody historical, it had to be somebody who killed men. Beautiful. So I introduce you to <laughs> Nancy Wake. <laughs> So Nancy Wake was a um, spy against the Nazis during World War II. She was a uh, woman, uh, and she um, lived in France for a good bit, but she uh, worked with um, Great Britain's um, spy operative. So she was actually born in New Zealand in, uh, in August 1912 um, to Charles Augustus and Ella Rosier Wake, and she was the youngest of six children. And... Um, they moved when she was a kid, and then her father pretty much, I think, left them, sold their house without them knowing, and then um, they were kind of left 
to figure out what they were going to do. Chill. And he was um, a journalist, editor, and uh, worked for the newspaper. And he, um, I guess, didn't really, really care about their uh, family. Huh. Um, but she moved to Sydney when she was 20 months old. And then um, then he, he left them later on. Um, she actually, at the age of 16, um, ran away from her home and her family um, her aunt, I've read a couple articles and they don't super clarify, but it says her aunt gave her $200. I don't know if that's American money or if, I don't know what the New Zealand currency is called. <laughs> Things I could have looked Maybe up. Eurozone? No, they're not Euro. At, at least not at this, definitely not at this point, but I don't think they were. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but apparently $200 regardless was a lot back then, but she, she had $200 and at 16, she just left the New Zealand dollar. Cool. <laughs> um, so she um, traveled London with that money. And then um, she traveled around Europe. She worked as a journalist. Uh, and then she ended up going uh, to New York. And in New York, she was um, supposed to be kind of a uh, an advisor to some papers over there as well about what was going on um, with the war. In 1937, um, she met a wealthy French industrialist called Henri Edmond, I think it's Fioca, something very French, F-I-O-C-C-A. And then they married in 1939, and she was living in Marseille, France, when Germany was invaded. And after the fall of France in 1940, she became a courier for the French Resistance and later joined the escape network of Captain Ian Garrow. Um... And she was called uh, the White Mouse. He gave her uh, that name. Uh, her The resistance exercised caution with her missions. Her life was in constant danger with the Gestapo tapping her telephone and intercepting her mail. So she uh, became a spy uh, against the Nazis um, and was working with um, the, secret, the secret agencies. Um, and her husband as well was doing this. Her husband was actually killed um, by... The Nazis, um, when they were doing their um, missions, they did them separately. She actually didn't know that he was killed until after the war ended, and she uh, apparently she blamed herself uh, for that and kind of get, like getting them involved in that. Mm. She got um, in November 1942. Um, troops occupied the southern part of France, and the Allies' Operation Torch had started. This gave the Gestapo unrestricted access to all the papers of the um, regime and gave them made more. <laughs> made life more dangerous for Wake. By 1943, Wake was the Gestapo's most wanted person with a price of 5 million francs on her head. When the network was betrayed that year, she decided to flee Marseille and her husband stayed behind. He was captured, tortured, and executed by the Gestapo. Um, Wake described her tactics, a little powder and a little drink on the way, and I'd pass their German posts and wink and say, do you want to search me? So she used her femininity to her advantage. Um... And she was, like, super, super gorgeous, too. Um, and um, she, uh, after she got to England, after leaving France, she um, joined the Special Operations Executive. Vera Atkins, who also worked with the SOE, recalls her as a real Australian bombshell. Tremendous vitality. Everything she did, she did well. Uh, she, training reports say that she was very good and a fast shot, and she possessed excellent field craft, and she was noted to put the men to shame by her cheerful spirit and strength of character. And on 
the 29th, 30th of April, 1944, she was parachuted into ugh, the Auvergne, and she became a liaison between London and the local McKee group headed by Captain Henri Tardivat in the mm, blank <laughs> forest of Tronsois, T-R-O-N-C-A-I-S. Sure. I took a semester of French. That seems about I right. I never took a semester. <laughs> never. Nope. Upon discovering her tangled in a tree, uh, Captain Tardivat greeted her, remarking, I hope that all the trees in France bear such a brutal, beautiful fruit this year. To which she replied, don't give me that French shit. <laughs> oh my god. I love her so much. <laughs> Her duties included allocating arms and equipment that were parachuted in and minding the group's finances. She became instrumental in recruiting more members and making the group into a formidable force, roughly 7,500 strong. She also led attacks on German installations and the local Gestapo HQ. At one point, she discovered that men were protecting a girl who was a German spy. They did not have the heart to kill her in cold blood, but when Wake insisted she would perform the execution, they catapulted. Capulated. Oh, like what? Catapult. <laughs> they can't. Um, from April 1944 until the liberation of France, um, her 7,000 plus people fought 2,200 German soldiers, causing 1,400 casualties, and only 100 of them actually uh, suffered. So either um, died or were injured. Her French companions praised her spirit and amply demonstrated when she killed an SS sentry with her bare hands to prevent him from raising the alarm during a raid. She killed Nazis with her bare hands. Um, during a 1990s television interview, when asked what happened to the sentry who spotted her, she simply, she simply drew her finger across her throat. They taught this judo chop stuff with the flat of a hand at SOE, and I practiced away at it, but this was the only time I used it. Whack, and it killed him all right. I was really surprised. Oh my god. On another occasion, to replace codes, her wireless operator had been forced to destroy in a German raid. She rode a bicycle for more than three, it says 500 kilometers, but I'm going to say 310 miles, through several German checkpoints. During a German attack on another group, um, she, along with two American officers, took command of a section whose leader had been killed, and she directed the use of suppressive fire, which facilitate, facilitated the withdrawal of the group without further losses. And um, I have a couple quotes from her that I really like before we get to all the awards that she won. Um, she actually only recently died in 2011 at the age of 98 because she was fucking badass. Um, um, in regards to uh, killing that German, that Nazi soldier with her bare hands, she said, I was not a very nice person and it didn't put me off my breakfast. Wow. <laughs> um, she was given the... Um, well. She once described herself as a young woman, as someone who uh, loved nothing more than a good drink and handsome men, especially French men. And where was the other quote that I wanted? Um, yeah, so the awards that she won included um, <clears throat> the uh, George, I think it's the George Medal, um, the United States Medal of Freedom, the Medal de la Résistance and the Croix de Gu French uh, 
She learned that the Gestapo had tortured her husband to death in 1943 for refusing to, to disclose her whereabouts. After the war, she worked for the intelligence department at the British Air Ministry, uh, attached to the embassies in Paris and Prague. Um, other things that she was awarded include um, from the United States, the Medal of Freedom with a bronze palm. Which I thought was super cool because I'm at the bong right now and I'm working with a lot of different medals. I've never seen a bronze palm. They only issued 987 during World War II. Damn. And so that I thought that was super, super cool. I've never seen one before. Lots of like stars and the oak leaves, um, but no palms that I've seen. Um, New Zealand, she um, got the badge in gold uh, in 2006, so much later. Um, in 2004, she was uh, issued by the Commonwealth of Australia, the Companion of the Order of Australia. She got the 1939-1945 um, star, the France and Germany star, the Defense Medal, the War Medal, um, a few other ones from France that I can't pronounce, but yeah. Um, she was a Liberal candidate in the 1949 Australian federal election for the Sydney seat of Barton. Then Deputy Prime Minister, Attorney General, and Minister for External Affairs in the Ben Chifley Labour government. Um, and then she left Australia just after the 1951 election and moved back to England and worked as an intelligence officer in the Department of the Assistant Chief of Air Staff in the Air Ministry in Whitehall. She resigned in 1957 after marrying an RAF officer. Royal Air Force. Mm -hmm. I realize that might not be... Yeah. <laughs> Um, they relocated to Australia in the 1960s, and she maintained her interest in politics and was endorsed as the Liberal candidate of the 1966 federal election for the Sydney seat of Kingsford Smith. Despite re a record swing of 6.9% against the sitting Labour mem member Daniel Curtin, she was uh, unsuccessful. And then they left, yeah, I don't know, they left Sydney to retire. What could he have done? I have no idea. <laughs> In 1985, she published her autobiography, which she called The White Mouse after uh, her nickname in the S SOE, and it became a bestseller and has been reprinted many times, and her husband died 40 years uh, af after 40 years of marriage in 1997, and they didn't have any children, and she went back to London, uh, and she became a resident at the Stafford Hotel in St. James's Place near Piccadilly. And she uh, passed away Sunday evening on the 7th of August, 2011, at age 98 at Kingston Hospital after being admitted with a chest infection. She requested that her ashes be scattered at Montlucon in central France, and uh, they were. Her obituary in was included in and inspired the title for The Socialite Who Killed a Nazi with Her Bare Hands and 144 Other Fascinating People Who Died This Year. A collection of New York Time obituaries published in 2012. So yeah, how's that, Kaylee? This this girl not only killed a man, she killed Nazi with her bare hands. And I feel like we could use another Nancy Wake. Um, God, I wish it could be me. <laughs> oh oh my God. God, it's great. It's 2017, and um, we again should probably start. I'm all for judo chopping. Nazis to death, to death. Just like one, one quick, twa, twa. You know, the sound effect that must be made. <laughs> oh my god! Do you know why she was called the White Mouse, or is it just like um, a, she looked like a white mouse? I don't know if it had to do with something else. She was like sneaky. Ah, uh, okay. I feel like that would make sense. Oh, another uh, quote that I really liked was, "I was never afraid. I was too busy to be afraid." 
Um, I thought I saw why she was called the White Mouse, but maybe... Yeah, I think it's because she was sneaky and cute and really, really good. And yeah. Yeah. Big fan. So yeah, that's Nancy Wake. Her full name is... Um, it was something. Nancy Grace Augusta Wake. So yeah. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So what are you going to do with your Thanksgiving? Maybe? Gonna have a um, good, good vegan Thanksgiving. The, the sweet, sweet mashed potato, no meat. <laughs> Just a bowl of mashed potato. Just a bowl of mashed potatoes on a spoon for approximately two and a half hours. Just slowly. <laughs> what are you doing? You're going. We're going Wisconsin? to. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yes, we're going to the the very small town of Durand, Wisconsin, where the cow population is more than the people. I think it, like, triples the people. Like, cheese, milk, cows? Or... Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, like, milk cows and... Not, like, villages of cows. <laughs> I've never been to Wisconsin. <laughs> oh, my... You know... fantasy in it's, my head. It's wild, man. It's really... <laughs> I mean, I've been to Superior, but does that count? No. Okay. I mean, a little bit. Is that representative of the state of Wisconsin? Oh. Uh... It, in some ways, okay. like when beer is only three dollars, yes, that is the That's Wisconsin. A, God, I love going to bars in Superior because my tab is like four dollars. Oh God! And I'm like, wow, okay. That John Mulaney. Have to go to O'Halligan's. It's nickel <laughs> it's shot nickel night. Shot night. I'm, sure I'm we'll gonna die. die if we go to nickel shot night. <laughs> Oh, God, now I need to watch that. I'm so bitter I missed him when he came to Minneapolis. My roommates went, and I'm very jealous. I saw somebody that we know met him. I'm not going to say it on the podcast. I'll tell you, like, once we turn off the microphone. Yeah, and I was just, like, very bitter about it. But, yeah, so we're going to Wisconsin. (laughs) Um, And I think we might go Black Friday shopping. I don't know. Oh, I've never done that. Uh, the first time I did was the first year that I moved here because I was just in Superior for Thanksgiving with a friend and we think dinner ended and her parents went to the casino and we were like, well, what do we have to do? So we went to Ulta. (laughs) Good start to any story. I think that's pretty much all we did. I think we went to Sephora, but like theirs weren't that good that year. And Ulta's then, just better in general, Ulta, I think. Well, oh yeah, for sure. I'm, a, I'm an Ulta Ho loyalty program. Oh yeah, there's just yes. so much better than Sephora's. But yeah. Um, <laughs> so I want to go to Ulta again this year, but also every, pretty much everything I sent Brandon that was like, this would be a good idea if you got it for me, is from the Ulta Black Friday sale. Mm, yes. So... <laughs> we'll <Ooh>. see. Duplicates. <laughs> I mean, I could use, like, three of the same Becca highlighters, but... And you have yet to splurge those, like, $38 for the single pans or whatever. I got one for Christmas two years ago from Not Brandon, and (laughs) I love it so much. I dropped it when I was in England traveling, Mm -hmm. and I think my heart skipped a beat because I was just like, oh no... And it was ruined. And I eventually did get around to fixing it, and then I dropped it again. So I've given up. It's now a loose powder. Oh, wow. It still functions nicely. Uh, <laughs> I'm lo- all over glory. But I'm like, this is a $38 highlighter. Like, I'm not buying another. Yeah, yeah you, you reset that bad boy <laughs> in that pan. 
I would use as much rubbing alcohol as this takes. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah. Well, this has been um, the Nazi killing Thanksgiving special of Badass Women in History. Yeah, none of that French shit. None of that French shit. <laughs> thank you so much for being here, Haley. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, do you giant want, nerd and I love that. Do you want to plug your social meds? Yeah, um, my social meds. Friend me on Facebook. <laughs> um, yeah, my Twitter is the only thing worth following. H-I-D-E-N-S-C-H-I-N-K. There is another Haley Eidenshank. Do not follow her. Follow me instead. Still trying to figure out how we're related. That was weird. Trying to find myself. Found her. That's so weird. If you're listening, Haley. It can only be one. It can only be one. Not Kaylee. You're allowed to to do you. This other one. Oh my god. So yeah, follow me on Twitter. Or don't, you know. Good times. Well, y'all know Kaylee is straight with an eight out of flake. (laughs) And then I'm charismatics. You're welcome. Have a good Thanksgiving. This episode's coming out after Thanksgiving. Um, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. And we will, I will see you in, I will be talking in your ear in two weeks. (laughs) Goodbye. Farewell.